Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today we're going to be talking about the Mitchell case that we covered last week. Uh, Tuesday's election results expanded news coverage of the purported highly illegal behavior by Customs and Border Patrol agents in and around San Diego and the protest up in Sacramento resulting from a lack of prosecutions in uh, Stefan Clark's killer's case. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, had a really busy last week. Did some stuff with a, the Jackie Goldberg campaign, but we'll talk Fantastic. about that a little bit later down the line. Yeah. How's your week been going? Uh, it's it's been busy, but you know things are things are going along nicely. It's it was. Uh, I think we're done with the rain. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see? see. Okay. I don't well, think it ever ends. It's I, just I definitely always, got caught out in it. Um, we just live in Blade Runner now. <laughs> and not the good one. Like, now we live in the crappy one. Like, that's the universe we built for ourselves. Yeah, I got dumped on on, uh, on was it Wednesday this week. I got completely caught off guard by the rain that I was not expecting to ramp up as bad as it was. And being unprepared in downtown means you get soaked. Yeah, and something we'll talk about a little bit more when we get to the Mitchell case, because again, like there's 60,000 people in LA that don't have a permanent place to live, Absolutely. so all of this rain has been really hard on them. But we'll talk about that a little later. What I wanted to touch on at the top real quick was the Sunrise Movement LA held a, a, a Green New Deal town hall uh, on Sunday. It was really good. We were out at uh, LA City College, which again, the more I work with and uh, integrate with or engage with the community college system we have out here in Southern California, the more impressed I am by it. Mm -hmm. uh, David Salazar was uh, there representing the city colleges and did a really great job pushing how they're like trying to integrate a Green New Deal and job training and renewable energy training into their curriculum and making sure that people are set up and able to jump into this new economy we want to build. Uh, other panelists included Mike Bonin, uh, obviously city council member from CD11, uh, Ara Vasquez, who is a board of commissioners for LADW, or is on the board of commissioners for LADWP, uh, Martha Aguelo from uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility, who gave some really great talks about uh, how youth activism is really necessary and we need to return to that. And also like, her talking a lot of smack about LAPD in front of Bonin <laughs> was really cool. Um, she was a very good and very powerful speaker. And even people like from the, the national level of Sunrise that saw uh, some of the video and stuff that we'd posted and talked to people were like, yeah, this Martha woman sounds like she really knows the score. So that was cool. Uh, Jennifer Kropke from IBEW, which is the International Brotherhood of, Ele of Electrical Workers, mm -hmm. uh, Local 11, talked about, you know, we're having a hard time making the sell to workers because if you're earning 60 bucks an hour at a refinery job, why would you take a $20 an hour job uh, installing solar panels? So there's a lot of work to be done in the actual logistics of how we get labor and the workforce and people who need to like support a family onto our side and understanding how we can help solve some of their concerns and build a more robust economy. And a lot of it comes down to the just the, the job incentives that we're offering and the, the local hire stuff. Because again, like the fossil fuel companies will go out of their way to ingratiate themselves to a neighborhood because yeah. they know that's how they stay in business. And then finally, Kevin DeLeon was there. He is uh, going to be running for CD14 uh, to replace Jose Wizard. it sounds like. Uh, he was very much in campaign mode. Uh, very, very much about like pushing the activist and was really happy. Made some bold claims about uh, not just LA, but all of California meeting a renewable energy goal by 2035 instead of 2045, which is the goal now. Hmm. The only way that happens is with offsets and credits and some wonky sort of like energy math. So a yeah. little bit skeptical, but he did have a couple good lines. And one that was my favorite was, you know, we know we're making progress when self-driving cars learn to speak Spanish. And he's right. We have to democratize yeah. the grid. We have to democratize where we're putting charging stations, where we're pushing this stuff out. Like, if I own a Tesla in Santa Monica, I can charge that up every other block. Yeah. If I own a Tesla in Compton, 
I better own a house that I can plug that car into because yeah. otherwise I'm not finding that infrastructure. So there's a lot of work we have to do to make this transition more comfortable. But overall, it was great. Raised a bunch of money for Sunrise LA. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up, so I'm going to keep you posted on that. But overall, it was really cool to see our electeds and our appointed uh, politicians saying – we want to do the Green New Deal here. We want LA to be a leader. So um, that was pretty exciting. So, And that uh, actually ties in pretty well with uh, the fact that Senator uh, Henry Stern from Canoga Park, uh, who represents parts of uh, the Santa Clarita Valley, is introducing a joint resolution coming up here uh, supporting California's own version of a Green New Deal. Uh, so he's co-authoring this, this uh, resolution alongside Senator Nancy Skinner from Oakland, uh, along with assembly members Wendy Carrillo from here in Los Angeles, Edward Garcia from Coachella, and Todd Gloria from San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all backing this resolution calling for an urgent action on our climate emergency and actually addressing it as a climate emergency, which it absolutely is. Because that's one thing with SB 100 is it doesn't yeah. talk about climate change. It's just an energy policy, and it's fairly dry at that. Yeah, and, and as you pointed out earlier, SB 100, uh, which was passed, what, last year? Yeah. Uh, set a goal of 100% renewable energy or clean energy uh, by 2045. And so, like you said, we're looking like we can get there f- earlier, but it does come with some wonky uh, carve outs in terms yeah. of saying offsets and all that work versus like actually shutting down all of the coal and all of the gas and making sure that California is actually getting everything from clean energy and yeah. not just buying carbon offsets because carbon offsets aren't going to solve this well, problem. And also it's stuff like using biogas, using biomass, yeah, yeah. like you're still generating dirty energy and it's slightly cleaner, but it's still dirty energy yes. and using that to offset dirtier forms or being able to say, hey, you know, we're giving a credit to this utility for producing solar in Wyoming. So that means means they can sell us coal created power here in California and like weird giveaways like that to big companies. Yeah. So at the announcement uh, of this resolution, Sophie Haddad, who is the 19 year old statewide board chair member, a uh, board chair, sorry, of the California Public Interest Research Group, addressed the crowd stating that, quote, I will be 50 in 2050 with last year's passage of SB 100. California is leading the way on clean electricity. But now we need California to take bold action to get our transportation and buildings completely off of fossil fuels. Yeah, it's, it's good to see this movement at a state level. We're still seeing some oh, yeah. intransigence from uh, Dianne Feinstein and also some <laughs> of the like last remaining Republican House members that we have in this state who are very tied to fossil fuels. Of course. But even then, like, our Democrats are very tied to fossil fuel at the at the the federal level. Yeah. Like Kamala Harris, not as much, but she still gets some of that money. Diane Feinstein, uh, even the bill she put forward that Chuck Schumer killed pretty quickly. Like that was gangster of Chuck Schumer to take her like weak sauce Green New Deal and be like, nope, we're not even going to consider it ha. because she had carve outs or basically didn't mention anything about offshore drilling. Like she's fine with offshore drilling off the coast of Santa Barbara. And it's like, no, don't do that. It, Especially because we know Santa Barbara's getting ready to do that again. Yeah. No, Diane Feinstein is just completely out of touch when it comes to basically anything related to the environment at this point. And I, I'm so tired of seeing these folks on Twitter coming out and defending her being like, look at all the like the climate uh, check marks and, and grade A that she gets from all of these activist groups. It's like, yeah, but that that's that's the old way of looking at it. They don't that doesn't take into account what the hell we've learned in the last decade. Well, and also and when you're com- changed. when you're comparing her to any Republican yeah. senator, like she's, one, yeah. she, she's not that far off the spectrum. She falls like number 20 in conservatives. Like she's not like super <laughs> progressive as it were, but compared to any Republican in the Senate, uh, she looks like a unicorn because they're all terrible. 
So yeah, that's there's, true. there's like, there's not a whole lot of like useful comparison. Uh, but the one thing that does give me hope is there has been chatter about uh, if she retires early, Garcetti might be appointed to her seat. And he's proved movable on these issues. Like the, we got the gas plants by really applying pressure to true. him. He's throwing in on the Green New Deal. Herb Wesson's throwing in on the Green New Deal for LA. So we're seeing movement from folks that could step up to the federal level. And so She's going to retire out. We know she's not running again. We know this is her last hurrah. So it's yep. really just a matter of making sure that whoever gets her seat is in tune with the fact that, like, we're fighting for our lives and we really need to make this our major focus. We're the biggest economy in California. Sorry, we're the biggest, <laughs> we're the biggest economy in the country. Actually, you know, know, L.A. is the biggest economy in California. It though, is. So you're not is. wrong. This is true. You just yeah. And because of the Port of Long Beach, and this is actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of the problems we have here in California is when we're selling stuff or shipping stuff in and somebody buys it at Walmart in, like, Alabama. It comes through here. Well, it doesn't just come through here. The reason it's so cheap for them to buy it at Walmart in Alabama is because we're subsidizing it yes, with the, the young, the lungs of young children who live along the 710 corridor. Like, mm -hmm. we know these the damage is happening. We need to now force big companies to pay for it. They don't want to, and Diane Feinstein is a good roadblock. That roadblock will not be there forever. What a legacy to leave behind. It's uh, There's going to be a lot of reevaluation of the last 20, 30 years, like as we survive oh, the yeah. climate crisis no, and get beyond this. It's not going to look good for a lot of people, and a lot of people who are like the quote-unquote good guys now. Yeah. All fun, right, let's fun, uh, fun stuff. Let's move on. Yeah, let's talk to uh, <laughs> let's talk about Mitchell, especially in light of like these atmospheric rivers that keep like ruining my bike rides uh, yeah. and dumping a lot of rain and making it very uncomfortable. Like parts of downtown where I live, like flood real easily, and the yeah, people who are like staying out there are losing a lot of their stuff. Yes, not just from sweeps, but just like you know, a tent, a, a, a Walmart tent is not meant to survive that much rain. They're, they're not heavy duty materials. Yeah. So. There, there's a reason why everybody that you see, who's got a tent that's been up for any length of time, they've got a tarp on top Yep. because that tarp is absolutely necessary because that's the only way they can get actual waterproofing. Cause otherwise the nylon that those things are made of, it just, it cannot hold up to yeah. the elements. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about Mitchell, which uh, has been uh, going through the courts for a while. Yes. LA City is finally moving to settle it. Let's talk about what that means. Yeah, so on Wednesday this past week, the Los Angeles City Council voted 10 to 2 to settle the, this case. Who were the two? The two votes against it were Huizar and Buscaino. Surprise. Yeah. So developers and business representatives uh, had been lobbying the city council to take the judge's injunction to trial instead of preserving many of its requirements in a in this, this settlement that they are instead going to actually be pursuing. Um, after the vote, Buscaino said that, quote, we deserve a city safe and free of public health hazards. Every time we oppose a solution to homelessness, in parenthetical, we get slammed for it. Well, and it's just like, we know the solution, give people housing. That's yeah. how you solve homelessness. No, it is. Like, it, cops with guns and throwing people's stuff out yes. makes more people have no place to live. And can kill them. Yeah. And does kill them. Yeah. So... Buscaino is completely uh, full of it on this when one. When he says safe, he means for single-family homeowners. Yes. So, yeah. Or for people who, like business owners, who yeah. are concerned about encampments being near their, their businesses and having an impact there. But they, they get really involved with uh, the bids and, and pushing to to have this. They really wanted the city to fight this and try to set a precedent for being able to remove folks at will. And that's one of the things you see with uh, Garcetti's Unified Homeless Command Center, which, A, the military terminology there is really 
absolutely terrifying. But uh, the people they reach out to and the people they talk to and the people they see as stakeholders and solicit advice from are bids, are property owners, are yeah. business owners. They're not reaching out to the folks who actually live on the street because they don't see them as stakeholders, no, even though it's their lives. They see LA Can as a confrontational adversarial group rather than which as they like, are, well, which yeah. is great. But they, that's they're adversarial and confrontational because the city clearly just doesn't actually want to listen to what it is that the homeless folks are going through and yeah. how the these policies that the city has been pursuing are continuing to make the situation so much worse. So uh, at the hearing, or, or after, I forget which, Huizar said that Los Angeles was continuing to, quote, treat Skid Row as a dumping ground for homeless people. I mean, he's not wrong, um, but <laughs> settling Mitchell isn't going to change that, and not settling Mitchell wasn't going to change that either. The, yeah. The, result, the reason why Skid Row is what it is is because it's been that way for a very long time, and that's where all of the shelters and uh, infrastructure has been located because the city has refused to address this issue forever. Yep. And on top of that, when you arrest somebody anywhere in the city for any of these quality of life uh, crimes, quote unquote, you end up taking them downtown, pushing them through LAPD or for, through central processing, whatever. Any of these places where they're being processed or held or whatever, it, they all end up being let out onto the streets well, it, in was, downtown and they end up on Skid Row because that's the yeah. only place they can go. All their well, shit's gone. When I was coming back from a, a meeting last week, a uh, guy stopped me on the train. I think I might have actually been coming back from like podcast recording yeah. or something, but uh, uh, a guy was standing there on the platform kind of looking confused. Yeah. Just out of Twin Towers after 18 months, oh, Jesus. Uh, he was looking for, uh, he knew a sober home that he needed to get into. He's like, look, if I go back out there, I'm going to drink, I'm going to smoke weed, and then I'm going to do meth, and then I'm going to do crack, and I don't want that. I really want to get yeah. into this sober home. I really want to give my life to Jesus again. The fact that I had a cell phone, like, I got him to East L.A., and he connected with the sober home. If I hadn't been there, there's a good chance he would have just wandered off back into Skid Row and done all the things he didn't want to do. And uh, I'm just a random dude on a train. Why are there not resource officers? He was literally just let out of a a prison that cost billions of dollars a year run, and nobody was there to be like, hey, so how do we make sure that, like, you get to live your best life? Recidivism is something that can be easily fixed in almost all of these cases. Come on. This is is not— hard to solve it just takes energy and a commitment and some money and we have the money we can't spend the money because every time that we try to spend the money everyone stops it from being pushed forward like all these bridge homes and other shelters where the nimby crowd comes out in force and is like no we don't want that here well, apparently it's, it's they just also want the amazing to stay. well and apparently you know we're spending 31 million dollars a year on yeah. sweeps like none of that is hap- is helping and LA can was on the ground at the the hearing to to like give some testimony about what this is doing to the community so let's talk about that for a sec so at the hearing Steve Diaz uh, who is an activist with the LA can Los Angeles Community Action Network told the council that quote the business community has done a great job of confusing this issue uh, encampments do not come from homeless people's constitutional rights. They come because of a lack of housing and a lack of affordability. So he's hitting the nail on the head right yeah. there. Uh, the Central City Association, that was what the A stood for. I thought it was that. Uh, said they, they had uh, Jessica Lal, who is their president and chief executive officer, uh, came out and, and was, as, was, was also giving testimony. And she said that the testimony at... The past three homelessness and poverty committee meetings and the council meeting today showcase the broad concerns of continuing the status quo and how we need a new approach to the cycle of lawsuits the city faces and solving our region's homelessness crisis with the decision. 
So that's a mouthful, but well, it's also, she's not wrong. I mean, it's also one where like <laughs> even after, approach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but even after Mitchell, like a lot of things aren't going to change for no. folks who don't, because a Mitchell only really dealt with Skid Row. Like yeah. that, that was what was primary focused on and sweeps across the city are still happening, but also sweeps have still been happening on Skid Row yes. in violation of the injunction. Yeah. Uh, and that's just going to keep happening because they've, they've found new bureaucratic names for him. Like there's Michael Kohlhaas has been doing some amazing work on that blog. Still like their style guide has got to be wild. I'm curious (laughs) about that, but it's actually, it's a topic of discussion among knock editors because we're just blown away by it. It's very (laughs) innovative. Uh, But, but anyways, uh, they have this whole series of, of emails back and forth between a business owner and LAPD on Skid Row about putting up fencing to stop people from being able to put down tents and stuff. And it's like, it's blatantly illegal for the city to be acting in service of private business that way. Yes. But they see it as their regular job, which is why they're doing it on their regular email accounts and we're able to like CPRA it. But it's also disturbing because us exposing that or that being exposed by citizen journalists isn't stopping it. It's no, just it's causing not. them to go behind closed doors and try and hide it yeah. rather than like reevaluating the behavior. And you see exactly the same kind of fencing being put up all over the all over the place in Koreatown. Like that is one of those issues that keeps getting brought up by uh, the folks over at Koreatown for All and uh, the the um, DSALA street, street Watch folks that these fences that are put up are put up almost never with a permit and it's illegal for them to be up there on the easement between the sidewalk and the street like that's not a place where you're allowed to put up fencing it is not you you cannot claim that as you know private property putting up that fencing fencing there is literally just meant to keep people from being able to put up tents and it is it's just unconscionable to be doing that in in these areas where People are trying desperately to get out from, you know, being being forced to be on the sidewalk or or in the way or in areas where they're going to be swept by the police and sanitation workers. Yeah. So after the hearing, uh, it was it was nice to hear that after the hearing, uh, Marquise Harris Dawson took a pretty measured stance on the issue, telling reporters that, quote, I don't expect it to create worse conditions. Skid Row is a problem that accumulated over 50 years. This will make the rules clear so we can focus on getting people housed. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. There's a lot of yeah. money still locked up there, and hopefully uh, they they start building uh, not just bridge housing, but permanent supportive yeah. housing. There's a lot of work being done there by everyone in. If you're interested in getting in on that fight and that struggle, Hell I yeah. would I would hit them up. Um, but this one's going to like it's going to take a while to untangle. I wouldn't expect uh, to see LAPD acting more nicely or sanitation to be. Uh, acting more humanely. Like, there's going to be more lawsuits coming in the very near future because this problem is not getting solved. No, I mean, just, just just last year, the fact that they, you know, they confiscate people's heart medications and then they die from heart failure or a heart attack a couple of weeks later, like that gentleman in um, in Koreatown, it's absolutely devastating. And this is, this these actions have very, very, very real effects and impact on the local community. And it's not just, you know, your quality of life in terms of having to walk around a tent uh, it, it's not worth somebody dying for. Yeah. Let's, uh, well, let's go ahead and put a pin in that one because yeah. we will discuss that. We can discuss that, <laughs> that uh, at forever. infinitum. Uh, but yeah, so uh, talking about more temporary solutions to big problems, uh, Jackie hmm. Goldberg uh, was running for school board. Uh, yeah. The, 
had the primary. Uh, doesn't look like she's going to close it out, but I, I was a volunteer for hers. Uh, there was a lot of work that went into it. It wasn't quite as expensive as the last school board campaign. I'm going to say with big square quotes, yet. Yeah. Because uh, it's <laughs> shaping up to be Jackie Goldberg with UTLA's backing and then probably a charter school candidate, but we'll still have to see how the, the absentee ballots mail in, or absentee ballots shake out on that. Yeah, so Jackie took home just over 48% of the vote with uh, 12,226 ballots, so counter for her so far. Uh, as you mentioned, absentee, early vote, and provisional ballots are still being counted, so these numbers will continue to change in the coming weeks. Um, the interesting result here is who came in second for the runner-up spot on the next round of ballots. Uh, really, is it going to end up being uh, Graciela Gar- Grace Ortiz uh, or Heather Repenning? Uh, with 3,368 and 3,315 votes, uh, just over 13% respectively. Uh, each of them have 13%. Yes, yeah. they each have 13%, and the difference between them is just 53 votes. Uh, yeah, the results are definitely too close to call. The next two vote getters, Cynthia Gonzalez and Allison Greenwald Bajratara, got 9% and 6% of the vote, respectively. From the Times, just to give a little bit of background on who each of these folks were. Aside from Jackie Goldberg, who uh, we all really like, uh, and also apparently the uh, the knock article from uh, Miranda that got put up uh, right before the election was the number one search result on Google when anybody was searching for Jackie Goldberg. So that's pretty pretty rad right there. So Ortiz is a school counselor and a member of the Huntington Park City Council. Repenning uh, is a longtime senior aide to Mayor Eric Garcetti, uh, has been supported by him and the Local 99 of the SEIU, which represents most non-teaching district employees. Gonzalez is a principal endorsed by the Los Angeles Times and by the Administrators Union, which also endorsed Goldberg. And then Allison Bajratara, uh, who left her post as a charter school executive to run for office, uh, came in again with just under just over six percent of the vote. Yeah, so. I, I I had one person I was phone banking, and she was like, you know what, Jackie Goldberg's been calling me too much. I'm I'm angry at the campaign. <laughs> I had this many times, and I feel bad because like everyone's working because nobody's list. voting. Well, the people who are going to vote are super valuable. The There's only so much data out there. There's only so many ways to cut those lists. So like UTLA, DSA, and Jackie Goldberg's campaign were just all slamming the same list. Yeah, and people yeah. got like really upset about it. But anyways, there was one moment where she was like, I'm not going to vote for Jackie just because of this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to vote for uh, Gonzalez. And I was like, good. Like you didn't say repenting. You didn't say Bajajara. <laughs> like it's, it's fine. Like uh, Gonzalez, yeah. I, I would be okay with that because like- Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think it would be a contentious campaign. There no. wouldn't be nearly as much money. I think it would be very, you know, optimal for Cynthia Gonzalez to like take up a chief of staff position and then like run in twenty twenty because the mm-hmm. seat's up again in twenty twenty. Like this is Jackie Goldberg is she lovely she's and she's amazing again. and well she said she might. She hasn't oh. completely closed it out, but <laughs> she's like seventy eight. Like we we there's other there's new blood to bring into that system, yes. but for for this race, my strategic calculations on it is it's too important to allow a charter school person to capture it. Like repenting taking this seat is a disaster for yes, like USD. So Jackie Goldberg holding the seat for a year and a half because she's got enough political weight to like throw around and get the easy win. Totally worth it. But it, again, if repenting comes in number two, the amount of charter school money that is going to flood this race is going to be so ridiculously bad. And oh, yeah. if if these voters felt bad this time when oh, no man. money was being spent, <laughs> the last LAUSD board uh, elections back in uh, 2016 mm-hmm. uh, were the most expensive per vote in the history of the U.S., I believe. Yeah. It was the most expensive election per vote. It's going to be insane. So uh, for all those people I phone banked were annoyed with me uh, – 
get ready to hear my lovely voice again. <laughs> it never ends because we keep having elections all the time. Yeah, but this is uh, we'll keep you up to date as Absolutely. we as we move into the uh, the general coming up here, um, unless something changes. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about Tijuana because uh, the Border Patrol apparently has a list of journalists and activists and people who are just Facebook activists that they've been stopping at the border. Yeah. And uh, it's very I, you know the term it's Orwellian bad. gets thrown around a lot, but this, this is, is this is pretty effing this is Orwellian. Really, really, really bad. Um, so we actually discussed this. Uh, fairly in-depth previously when it was reported in The Intercept. Um, but this is a different list. It's a different list, but yeah. it's the same stuff. Same thing. It's the and same we, people. Yeah, and I also talked with, there's an interview I'd had with Ryan, you know, uh, which says, uh, barrier, or it's, the title of the episode is Barrier to Entry, where I interview her about her journalism work in Tijuana, and she talks about being put through a couple of these uh, uh, extra screenings. Yeah, so uh, what happened here is that the NBC affiliate down in San Diego obtained leaked documents that show that our government is tracking journalists and immigration activists and lawyers surrounding their involvement with activity at the border. Quote, we are a criminal investigation agency. We're not an intelligence agency, the Homeland Security source told NBC7 Investigates. Continuing, we can't create dossiers on people and they're creating dossiers. This is an abuse of border search authority. Yeah, and not that there's a lot of uh, checks on border search authority. No. Um, it's when you're trying to cross a border or if you're within 60 miles of a border, it's pretty fair game for any of the people in those kind of olive drab uniforms. Yeah, but searching is one thing. Creating dossiers is an entirely different matter, and I think that's what it really comes down to. Well, it's like my uh, my friend's uh, neighbor is the uh, NASA engineer who was stopped and had his oh, government yeah. phone like searched by uh, Customs and Border Patrol and TSA, and you know, that's one government agency fighting with another government agency to be like, yo, why are you stealing our secrets? Yeah. And TSA being like, we don't have to tell you anything. We can do whatever we want without any check on our authority. Man, that that post 9-11 like security theater stuff has really just it's always been absurd and it's always been ridiculous and just completely beyond the pale. But now it just keeps getting more absurd. Because, it, of course, it can get worse. Um, just keep breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, I know, right? So quoting, quoting from uh, NBC, the NBC reporting on this, because it is, uh, this is important and it's worth getting the details from them. They said, quote, one dossier shared with NBC7 was on Nicole Ramos, uh, the refugee director and attorney for Al Otro Lado, a law center for migrants and refugees in Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, the dossier included personal details on Ramos, including specific details about the car she drives, her mother's name, and her work and travel history. End hmm. quote. Ramos told NBC7 that, quote, the document appears to prove what we have assumed for some time, which is that we are on a law enforcement list designed to retaliate against human rights defenders who work with asylum seekers and who are critical of CBP practices that violate the rights of asylum seekers, end quote. This is a huge story, so we're going to keep talking more about what NBC was saying. They were saying, quote, for each person, the documents show their photo, often from their passport, but in some cases from their social media accounts, along with their personal information. That information includes the person's date of birth, their, quote, country of commencement, and their alleged role, role tied to the migrant caravan. The information also includes whether officials placed an alert on the person's passport. Some individuals had a colored X over their photo, indicating whether they were arrested, interviewed, or had their visa or century pass revoked by officials. That right there is just absolutely terrifying. I mean, we've we, yeah. we heard about before with the Intercept reporting that the officers in the Mexican police were taking pictures of folks and sending those across. So 
uh, one would presume that those pictures were being correlated and, and compared uh, to the information that the uh, CBP was keeping over here on this side of the border. Uh, and as you mentioned earlier, one of our fellow ground game organizers and a journalist for NOC, Ryan Mena, was detained for secondary screenings on multiple returns from Tijuana, where she's been traveling routinely to document the stories of the migrant caravans and asylum seekers as they wait at the border for a chance to come across. Ryan knows that multiple friends of hers from the community of journalists and activists covering this issue have found their names on this list, but her name hasn't been found yet, though it does seem likely that she is on the list given the circumstances. Yeah, it's it's... It- I get the feeling from folks who uh, do a lot of work down there on the border that you become known fairly quickly, especially yeah. if you're crossing back and forth mm-hmm. um, pretty reliably. Um, and there, there's also – they know where you're going. You know, There's been questions about like what are yeah. you doing at this shelter? What are you doing uh, over with that group of people? So like there's some intelligence feeding back and forth from the Mexican authorities, the Mexican Which police. Is- I mean, it makes sense and it's, it's like because they're all interested in power and control. And Tijuana yeah. is not like – well, uh, Almo has been very welcoming of refugees and wanting mm-hmm. to work with us and kind of understands like this is an economic and an ecological crisis that's being uh, that's being played out here. Uh, the mayor of Tijuana does not like the migrants. He does not want them there. He's a very law and order type of yeah, person. It's a big so, headache for him. Yeah. And he, he's pushing for more cooperation with the U.S. And it's, you know, the logic we're seeing play out here is the logic of scarcity. And we're seeing the more reactionary elements like the mayor of Tijuana, the the. Um, uh, Trump administration move towards this, hey, we know the crisis is coming. We need to put up a big wall because we only have so much. Whereas like the actual solution to the crisis is, again, the whole like build a bigger table, not a taller fence. Yes. Um, but we're not seeing that. And the problem is it's very easy for folks in those highly affected communities to go and vote reactionary and to feel like safety is what comes first rather than understanding that like building out that community is what brings safety because yes. otherwise you just have this punitive us versus them thing that causes more violence and more broken stuff and then you have to escalate to things like terrible wars and yeah. genocides because ultimately I think that's what these administrations uh, kind of sees the end goal mm-hmm. here, not the end goal, but like the end game. It's like there's going to be the only way to solve. Yeah, that there's and it's dumb and stupid, and uh, I'm kind of rambling here, but this is how <laughs> that stuff starts to play out on the ground, yeah. and this is what we have to be really careful of. This sort of mission creep, uh, because CPB uh, and and DHS and ICE are like the best funded federal services out of all of them, like outside of the military. Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of are like an extension of the military. Well, no, but they have their their own budget. Like outside of the the Department of Defense budget, like ICE gets $40 billion a year. You know, like $40 billion, like what we could do with that is is, build a lot of schools and housing and jobs. (laughs) And uh, so like as we're fighting through this like Green New Deal versus like this terribly stupid plan to just like wall ourselves off, keep in mind like the money's there and it's being spent super easily. So when they're like, how can we feed everyone? Be like, how can we pay to shoot everyone? Because that's your option. So Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all, it's all related. It's all intersectional and that's just... And we need to be aware of every single area where these things are being pushed and be able to come back and fight them. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that the ACLU is getting very involved with this. Uh, the statement that was cited in, in the NBC article uh, actually is, was exactly the same statement that was covered in The Intercept, um, basically saying that this is a First Amendment rights issue where the Customs Border Patrol is in clear violation of the First Amendment and is targeting folks for their political speech and their journalistic activities. And that's not cool. 
because it's super illegal. Yep. So, uh, a fun fact also, the Customs and Border Patrol reached out to NBC News with a statement following the publication of their piece claiming that the names in the database are all people who were present during violence that broke out at the border in November. The agency also said journalists are being tracked so that the agency can learn more about what started that violence. CBP never clarified that point directly to NBC7 Investigates. So, And that's, that is one thing I want to point out is like that's why we, we assume that Ryan's name is on this list is she was there yes, exactly. live streaming and filming during that. And it, here's the thing. When they say outbreak of violence, what they mean is the American officers fired their weapons at unarmed people who crossed a fence. Yes. That's what they mean by outbreak of violence. It's like how did it happen? Well, you had a bunch of armed thugs on the American side who started lobbing tear gas at women and children. Uh, seems like you just tell your officers to not pull the effing trigger and then violence doesn't break out. Yeah, it's it's weird how they can have a totally different perspective on, you know, substantive I mean, it's, facts. It, well, because they believe that, like, this border, ex- like, remember. Crossing the border is an act of violence. You can't trespass on stolen land. Like, just repeat that <laughs> mantra to yourself every morning when you wake up. Because yep. it's true. And that's all they're doing is enforcing a border on stolen land and this entire idea of like nation states being more important than like women and children trying to escape violence that this nation state profits from is just terrible and it needs to stop. So yeah. everyone tomorrow, we're going to stop doing the capitalism. Just wake up and we're <laughs> done with it. It's just when you wake up and be like, I should check my stocks. Just remember, we don't do that anymore. We live in a world where we care for each other and take care of each other and money doesn't matter. We're just going to, I'm just going to declare it and we're going to see how this works. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one, but I will keep fighting for it. Yeah. Uh, on the on the subject of more stuff to keep fighting oh, for. Geez. Yeah. Uh, so It's going to get this, dark. Yeah. It, unfortunately, this is not going to be a happy one to end on. So, Stefan Clark. This whole article, this whole time that we're recording today, none of this has been particularly happy. I mean, the Green New Deal stuff is uplifting, other than the fact that it's like the impending boiling of the seas as we all die in giant fiery hell storms in California. So it's uh, yeah, it's a, uh, <sighs> may you live in interesting times. As they no, say. no, no. <laughs> I but want so, it to be boring. Uh, Stefan Clark, uh, was shot by Sacramento PD officers, uh, when they were yep. called because he was suspected of attempting to burglarize, uh, some of his neighbor's houses, uh, 20 it was shots. The cars were, actually. And was they, it cars? It was, yeah. They thought that he was the one who was breaking the cars and they thought that his iPhone was a gun. Yeah. Uh, a white iPhone, by the way. Uh, he oh, he was. Uh, Twenty shots were fired by the officers. Yep. Uh, eight of them hit. Yep. Uh, six of them hit him in the back. Two of them hit him on the side. None of them hit him in the front. Uh, so that tells you a lot about what the cops are shooting at. But big decisions were made by the district attorney up in Sacramento. So let's talk about that and some of the fallout from that decision. Yeah. So the district attorney Anne Marie Schubert announced on Saturday that officers Terence Mercadal and Mercadal. Uh, not quite sure how to pronounce his last name. I apologize. And uh, Jared Robinette uh, acted legally and would not force face charges for firing 20 rounds at Clark after chasing him into his grandmother's backyard and, of course, mistaking his iPhone as a weapon. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. And then also uh, Javier Becerra, the attorney general for California, uh, agreed and decided not to press any charges at the state level. Uh, and this this revoked this, quite a response, yeah. uh, which it should have. Yeah, so 84 people were arrested in protests on Monday night, including some journalists. Uh, two of the journalists that were arrested were, uh, two local journalists were arrested, and a Sacramento Bee reporter was detained briefly before Mayor Daryl Steinberg intervened on his behalf. So things got real, real, and there's a great photo that was associated with some of the press coverage on this of uh, Stefan Clark's brother sitting on the desk of the mayor in the city chambers, 
Uh, yeah, they they stormed the yeah. city council chambers. Uh, it was a really interesting uh, look at how the police backed off when white people were the ones between them. And it's funny how that works. Yeah, it's a it's kind of an amazing lesson in allyship or camaraderie or whatever you want to call it. It's but like, like you, those folks you over put your body on the line. Yeah, those folks over at White People for Black Lives kind of have a point. Like, yeah, no, it works, and it's it's stupid that it does, but it works. Um, and this is un, you know Southern California and California in general are incredibly deadly places for the cops, and this isn't going to change when we're not prosecuting them. because of the cops. Not, yeah. Not and, for it's, them. and it's, it's, you know, just in the last couple of weeks here in LA, there have been a couple of shootings. They don't make the news all that no. much. Um, unless it's, you know, something really drastic or dramatic, but remember LAPD is the deadliest police department in the nation. And this is something to keep in mind because March 3rd was the 30th, uh, no, sorry, the 28th anniversary of Rodney King. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, that happened March 3rd, uh, 1992. Um, it is uh, an anniversary that we keep moving farther and farther away from and keep seeming to forget, even though crime is way down uh, in the city of Los Angeles and across the nation compared to where it was in the early 90s. Uh, we still see more police. We still see police budgets getting bigger. We still see them shooting more people. We still see more complaints of use of force. We still see the cops not being held accountable. You know, we're coming closer and closer. I'm sorry. No, it was March 3rd, 91. 92 see, yeah. is the, the, the uprising. Yeah. But we're moving farther and farther away from these uh, events that helped shape our city for the last 20, 30 years. And as we gentrify and push people out and move towards like the LA of the Olympics and all of that BS, we're going to forget our really radical history. Like the folks that are making money off of us, the, the developers that are greasing palms at City Hall, they don't care that people fought and sweated and bled and died for the land in the neighborhoods that we call home now. They would rather erase that for the dollar yep. and they're winning. And that's what needs to stop. Yes, it is. So to that Damn end, Damn it, Chris, you just get me so. I know, ah. I know. I'm sorry. So to that end, uh, Tuesday there is a police commission meeting happening, as often happens on yeah. Tuesdays, nearly every Tuesday, as we've discussed in the past. Unless they cancel it, unless at they the cancel last it minute. and don't tell you. So who knows? But this Tuesday at 9:30 at the police commission. Uh, meeting over at the Los Angeles Police Department headquarters uh, in downtown, there is going to be a uh, there's a call for action for people to show up and turn up in support uh, to demand that the police commission investigates yet another one of these shootings. It, the, the specifically, uh, Gretchen Max, yes. uh, he was uh, shot at the Fox Hills. I think it was Fox Hills. Well, I, I'm forgetting. I, my apologies for this. Police, the police shot. Yeah, he was exhibiting some signs of of distress. Yeah, um, he was alleged to have had a knife or something. Uh, originally, the police said he was trying to stab people. Uh, then it turned out that he wasn't, and the police had him like surrounded and confronted. Uh, the police said he lunged at them. It turns out he was running away from them. Uh, he had kids. He has a family. Um, the and he's the, dead. the the yeah, and the the police commission is going to most likely rule that this shooting was fine. Um, and it's it's you know again this lesson that like if you're a black man in South LA. Your life is not safe around the cops. And even if they do something completely out of policy, like uh, executing you on the Venice boardwalk, they're still not going to jail. Like that no. cop uh, ended up uh, being convicted of domestic abuse in Huntington Park where he was living. Mm -hmm. uh, but LAPD uh, or sorry, the L.A. County District Attorney's Office never charged him with murder, even after Chief Charlie Beck said, yo, this guy's a murderer. So uh, Jackie Lacey, yeah. 
Gotta go. Yep. Gotta replace Jackie Lacey. Yeah. So the more pressure we can bring, the more we can show up and help people um, and and help groups like Black Lives Matter LA yes. and white people for black lives show that they're not alone and they're not just a bunch of malcontents, but there's yeah. an actual critical mass of people in LA behind them. Uh, the quicker we will win this one. So again, Tuesday morning, police commission meeting at the LAPD headquarters in downtown. Yeah. And then we're also March 20th. We need some court support for John Motter at yep. uh, 210 West Temple. He got popped. We talked about it last week. He got popped at a Jackie Lacey protest. Uh, so show up at 8.30 a.m., pack the court, let them know again, like, they don't get to prosecute John without hearing from us. Uh, and then the last thing on our agenda, we got some bridge shelter housing coming up. Yeah, so there's going to be a, commun- a community meeting regarding the shelter that is proposed for the Lafayette Park uh, area. So it's a bridge... And- yeah, this was the compromise yes. for K-Town. So this is it's the compromise for K-Town shelter that's not in K-Town. Um, yeah, so that happened. Yeah. Uh, but they're having a community meeting here on next this coming Wednesday, March 13th at 6 p.m. It's going to be held at the Lafayette Recreation Center Gymnasium. Address is 625 South Lafayette Park Place, uh, 90057. It's right off of Wilshire, I believe, and it should be pretty easy to get to with public transportation. Uh, showing up in force and and proving to the folks at the city who are going to be there that this is something that the community wants and needs uh, is huge. Yeah. So because this was this was the original the first proposed bridge housing. Uh, this is the new site for that first proposed housing site that was completely shut down with all these massive protests in Koreatown and the city just completely caved. And uh, moved it on over. Uh, is, yeah. it, is it actually still in Herb Wesson's district? Because I think, it is. I think that it this. Is. I, it, I think it's right on the border, but um, it's not in Cedillo. I don't think so. Okay, it's, 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 it's very close. close to the border. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like right on the border because that part of of uh, CD one and CD ten gets really wonky. It's they, this little, those like, borders don't make any sense. This little like needle that sticks up into Koreatown yeah. for no good reason, right along Vermont, just so so Wesson can capture like all of these important yeah. businesses. And anyways, well, if we start talking gerrymandering, we'll never end. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've got some uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. We'll yeah. keep you all abreast. If you're interested in getting involved in City Council District twelve. We have got lots of opportunities for volunteer shifts. Uh, Check us out on our Facebook page. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram at Ground Game LA. Uh, Right now, it's the ballot's not finalized. As we move there, we're going to get a better sense of like how this is going to shake out. But there's a lot of good opportunities uh, to get behind some progressive candidates like Lorraine Lundquist, who's a climate scientist, Carlos Armador, who is a uh, immigration activist. Uh, Absolutely amazing candidates. Uh, It's going to be a crowded field. We got like 21 people running right now. 27, I think, was the last. Yeah, nine nine have qualified so far yeah. with signatures and whatnot. So yeah, the we'll see if all, how many of the twenty seven actually end up making it. Right now, it looks to be nine. Um, of course, that can still continue yeah. to change. So it's going to be a pretty wild election. So yeah, so we could definitely use y'all out there yeah. on the ground. Uh, but that pretty much wraps it for me this week. Uh, anything? Uh, any last thoughts, Chris? No. No. Yeah, it's, it's been a long week. It'll the, be another long oh, week. Come on. Why can't things just get better? Hey, but you know what? If we all believe really hard, there won't be rain. Um, <laughs> and then also there won't be forest fires. You so. can't change the weather with your mind, Tim. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, anyways, thank you all very much. We'll see Thanks, you next guys. week.